our message today, I'm going to be looking at the whole of um, chapter 4, but, uh, but I just want to read first 4 verse 13, and um, I'm going to read uh, 4 verse 13 to 22 if you're following along in your Bibles, 4 verse 13 to 22, Acts 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. So they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing behind them, beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition to them. But when they had commanded them to leave the council... They conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone this name of Jesus. So they called them and they charged them not to teach or to speak, at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. What a privilege it is to have your word, your story, uh, your truth of your love for us. The words that I speak be tested by this word and moved by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I'm reading this, this text and and I'll, I'll talk more about this process. Um, looking at, at the birth of the church, really from, from Acts 2 to this point, and, and, and the character of the church. And, and what I find in here, there's, there's two types of boldness that defined the church, that, that allowed people to know that these guys were the church. These guys were Christians. And it was their boldness in their ability to speak, and their boldness in life. And as I read this, I, I had a, a bit of conviction. And, and, and it, it kind of led me to, to a memory. You know, when I was a, a, um, a teenager all the way up until my mid-twenties, I, I spent my summers working at a, at a summer camp. It's where I, where I met Tracy. And um, my job was was mostly most during that time was um, doing the the kind of remote camping stuff and working on on the trails and and um, driving canoes and and things like that and and um, so I had access to a fair bit of the the equipment at this camp and um, every every weekend it had always been kind of a tradition that. After the kids left for the week, we'd um, take this old uh, Ford F-Series ute that um, that I was pretty much the only one that had access to, other than the maintenance folks. And uh, of course, there was there was another way to get to where we wanted to go, 
but it, it meant leaving the camp and, and driving all the way around through an access road. Um, we didn't go that way. That was the safe way, of course. Um, we decided to take the hiking trail down, and every week we'd do this. And, and it had probably been done for, for years even before I was there. Yet, nevertheless, every weekend, the maintenance guy who, who was in charge of all that equipment said, do not do that. Do not drive that ute down the hiking trail to the cave, which is what we did every single weekend. And there was never any problem, ever. It, it, it always worked out, and so we kept doing it. And yet we'd still get this warning, don't do that. Until one day, and again, this is probably 20 years of, of this being the tradition, this being the thing to do at the end of the week, in that same ute, by the way, probably 20 years and um, we'd all pile into the ute, drive down the hiking trail, which was just wide enough for, for that ute, into an area that was quite often boggy and, and wet. And um, one particular weekend, it didn't go so well. We learned why we'd been told every single weekend, don't do that. Um, the ute got bogged. And, and once you get down there, there's, there's, there's nowhere to, to, to really, no way to get it out. So then we had the idea, there's a, there was an old tractor, so we got the old tractor and um, brought that down the same way we brought the ute down, and sure enough, it got bogged too. And uh, <coughs> then finally, there was a backhoe. Now, none of us had ever been trained on how to use a backhoe um, or how to drive a backhoe, but we still thought it would be a good idea to um, to get the backhoe and... and uh, that was going to be our, our solution. Um, so we got the backhoe down there. And by God's grace, only by God's grace, were we able to use that to get both the ute and the tractor unbogged. Um, but, but the thing I, I, I find from that story is that every single weekend, the, the, our boss had, had said, don't do that. Knowing full well that we were going to do that. And yet every single weekend we, we did it. We lacked that conviction to say, you know what, there's somebody there that knows what they're talking about. And it wasn't until that weekend that we realized that, that, that we didn't know what we were doing. And yet we kept doing the same thing over and over and over until disaster struck. You know, I was reading this chapter 4 in Acts. And I see here this, this clear call to the body of Christ. And, and, and it reminds me of that that, that, that we have this call over and over and over again. This is how we're to live as the church. And yet, we look all around the world and we say, well, you know what? Sure, that, that, that's what the Bible says. But but we've lived this way, and it's, it, it's been fine. This is a long passage. And I had one of those moments in preparing for this. Um, and and I, I, was, I was thinking practically about today, making the sermon short, light, and happy, and, and as if I make the sermon myself anything. I'll admit there was sheer arrogance there. And I tried to make light of this text. 
And I kept finding myself every time I did that to be a liar. Yeah, you heard that right. I, I found myself to be a liar every time I started to write this sermon on Acts 4. Because I have to ask the question, this boldness, is this me? Is this the, the, our church? And I find as I tried to write an explanation of, yeah, that, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm like these guys. I am that bold. I found myself to be a liar. I fall short of every bit of godly example in this text. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why such conviction is, is a good thing. If you're willing to hear that call towards conviction, I'd ask that in this you would lighten yourself. Loosen your grip on yourself, on your traditions, and be willing to be moved. Because I'll argue there is not one, including myself, that doesn't need to be moved. There is not a single person in all of, of the church, not just this church, but in all of Christianity that does not need to be moved. I know many have grown tired of, of hearing that preached over and over over the last year, and I will unapologetically say that the theme of change is, is not from me. It's for me. And for all who read the Scriptures, if you're willing to hear it. And the more it is preached, the more annoying it will be to us. Like that, 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 that's, that's, that's the reality. The more we read Scripture, and the more we understand it, it should annoy us. It should perturb us. You know, like, like that boss I mentioned before that was always saying, you know, don't do that. And we're thinking, oh, you know, that, that old fuddy-duddy guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Scripture should annoy us. To the point where, where it says, no, you gotta get up and move. You gotta get up and, and, and change. It's not going to leave us where we are. And I've said that multiple times and I say it again without apology. He will not leave you the same if you read his word faithfully. As, as Michael said before, he's not gonna leave you in the same spot. He's gonna take you through, through things you don't understand, through challenges through difficulties. And they're not going to make sense at the time, but they're for His glory and His purpose. The truest, bluest Aussie, the truest, bluest country person can be made in, into a city, city slicker if God so chooses. So we hold on to our identities and our styles and our traditions loosely so that we can understand who he is making you into how he's changing you he's not making you into your worldly identity he's not making you into a stereotype he's not making you into your favorite political internet musicals cultural icon he's not making you into your family tradition he's making you into his image and it's going to be different from all of those things he's not going to leave you the same Let's look at who he's making you into. I want to look at our text. Again, the boldness to speak and the boldness to live. Start in, in verse 13. 
Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. And because of this, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with with Jesus. You see, because of their boldness, you get that not because of their popularity, not because of their ability to, to, to fit in, not because of their friendliness, not because of their, their, their happiness, not because of... No, it was because of their boldness. They're willing to speak out and to proclaim out of what they saw. And they were bold. And, and, and so uh, the authorities here, it was through their boldness that they said, you know what, these guys must have been with Jesus. If someone was looking at us today, would they know that we have been with Jesus? Would they see that boldness? Because that boldness comes from, from these guys. They, they had actually walked with Jesus. They had seen Jesus. They had seen the miracles. They had trusted in Jesus. And so they were bold. And, and when they stood before these Sadducees, even them said, hey, there's something different about these guys. They don't have the, the, the kind of fear. They're not worried about their reputations. They are bold. And because of this boldness, there's no other explanation than these guys have been with Jesus. Verse 14, But seeing the man who had been healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition But they had boldly proclaimed Jesus, boldly healed a man. And they stood in the face of such boldness and had no argument against them. So these Sadducees that desperately wanted to argue with them and and put them down and, and criticize them, once they got to a point where they could do that, they stood back and said, we don't have anything to say. They had nothing against Peter and John. Because of their boldness. Peter and John, fishermen by trade, not academics, not politicians. The lake, the Sea of Galilee was their life. Until they met Jesus, these guys' whole identity was was fishermen. That's how the Bible identifies them. That's how they identified themselves. And they met Jesus and he said, no, that's not what you're going to do anymore. I'm going to change your life. You're going to follow me. You're going to become fishers of men. You're going to change where you live. You're going to change your lifestyle. You're going to change everything about yourself. They traded the lake and the fish for land and the word. And here the authorities, they saw not a bunch of fishermen. They didn't see their identities, their style, but their boldness. Not their past as fishermen, not their being foreigners, but their boldness. So these guys, they had grown up around the Sea of Galilee. It was their life, their identity, but now they found themselves preaching to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You know where not is not near Galilee? Jerusalem, right? So this is, this is far from what they were used to. This is about as far you could, as you could get culturally and geographically. This would be like um, 
taking a, a, somebody from Chinchilla who'd grown up here and putting them in the middle of Sydney and said, this is where I want you to do ministry. God did that. To see that. Not only did he do that, but he does do that. Do you believe that? That's the boldness that they were living. That's in the Bible over and over and over again. And so as I'm reading this text, I'm asking the question, is that me? Would I have that boldness? Is that the church? Would we have that boldness? If God called you to do and to be something totally different, would you really be willing to follow? Is our faith bold enough to respond to such a calling? I can only preach the word is found in Scripture, and this is the truth found in Scripture. He does and will do such a thing. And as early as, as you say, no, God, I, I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I can't follow you there. He will strike you down on your road to Emmaus. You're running away from him, and he will change your direction. And I know this as, as surely as, as the stench of, stench of, of catfish and, and crawdud and Mississippi River mud still pours out of me. And my fingers are, are still pruny from growing up in the backwaters and the creeks. And I preach here in the deserts of Queensland. I know this is true. This is what the Word says. This is how God leads us. He changes us. Are we willing to be changed? That is what was seen in these men. Not their ability to fit in. Not their ability to make themselves likable. Not their popularity. But their ability to be changed and transformed and their boldness in doing so. They were known because they stood out. And so it wasn't about them, but about the message that they preached. Verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> and they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. For many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of them the men came about 5,000. So this is what beha- happened before the text we just read. This is why they were considered bold. Look, they were annoying to the people hearing them. That, that's, that's convicting. They were actually annoying the people who were hearing it. I mean, how terrible is that, right? We don't want to be annoying. So we have this conundrum. We want to be like the apostles. We don't want to be annoying. But the apostles annoyed people. Right here. So what do we do with that? Yes. Yes, be annoying sometimes. I, I know that's, that's totally countercultural. But hear me out. If you're preaching the gospel and it's not annoying to the world, you're preaching it wrong. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, the philosopher from the 17th century, he said something radical. He said that faith is a perturbing thing. You understand the word perturbing. Perturbing means like if you're if you're just sitting there. Maybe maybe you're sitting on a chair and it, it's got a little uh, 
nail sticking up through the bottom. That's perturbing. It makes you want to move. It makes you want to change. Faith is a perturbing thing. It's not comfortable. Uh, oftentimes we get, we get that wrong. We think that, that faith is this, this very comfortable, cushy thing. But, but in fact, true faith leads us to move, leads us to change. It should make people who are hearing it annoyed. So annoyed that it would cause them to consider their place and to consider change. That's conviction. That's the gospel. The gospel is annoying. It's not cool. It does not fit into our culture. It is completely and utterly counter-cultural. 2 Corinthians 2.16, Paul says that the gospel is actually the odor of death to those who are perishing. It causes us this, this annoying stench that says, I don't like that. I want to go somewhere else. I want to, I want to smell the, the smell of life. But to those who are perishing, it's the smell of death. And this is what it was like to the Sadducees. Right, the Sadducees were the, um, um, you know, just be cool, just just try to fit in. Yeah, sure, we believe in God, but but like let's let's just be cool about it. Um, let's not talk about miracles or heaven or hell or all that kind of stuff. Let's just fit in with the Greeks, and and everything will be all right. That's that's who the Sadducees were. And so when the disciples got up and they started to preach, when Peter and John started to preach, it annoyed them. They hated the Christians because the Christians were not cool. They weren't fitting in. The Sadducees were, were, were the Hellenistic Jews. They wanted to fit into culture. And so when they saw the Christians, they hated this. Never mind that, that 5,000 people came to faith through that annoyance. They had them arrested. Verse 5, On the day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed, done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man standing before you is well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and is the salvation in no and there is salvation in no one else for there is no under name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved how annoying is that like to be told you know the the, the savior of the world you killed him that's annoying to be told that the that the, 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 the only name by by which you can be saved is the name you rejected. So they, in their annoyance, asked, what authority do you have to speak these things? Peter, not speaking on his own words, spoke through the Holy Spirit, and he preached Christ. He didn't give in. He didn't worry about his reputation. He didn't worry about his cool factor or 
how long he might be in jail, he preached Christ and him crucified. Peter, this fisherman, not caring about his image as a fisherman, not caring about where he had come from, not caring about his lack of education or his reputation or his love of the sea or how much he loved being in a boat, he stood in the city and preached Christ because Christ was all that mattered. Is that us, church? It's a perturbing question. It's a perturbing thing to know that God changes, transforms, moves, convicts us. Why? It's important to understand this. Your image, your standing, your comfort. Verse 12, it falls because there is salvation in no one else. No under name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No one will be saved by our image. No one will be saved by our popularity, our politics, our family name, our history, our favorite author, how often we go to church. None of that will save us. No one will be saved by how often you go to church or what church you belong to or how much you tithe or any of that. But by the name of Jesus Christ. And if that is true, do we speak that name with boldness? This is what they were recognized for doing. Speaking with boldness. And they spoke no matter where they were. At first, they were in the city just talking to people. We know they spoke in their homes. We know they spoke where they worked. They didn't change the tactic no matter where they were. They spoke Jesus when they were speaking to people on on the street. They spoke Jesus when they were speaking to the Sadducees. They spoke Jesus when they were talking to the officials. Even Paul spoke Jesus when he was in the house of Caesar. They spoke Jesus when they were in jail. They spoke Jesus when they were shipwrecked. They were bold. That's the first part of this. Not only were they bold in what they said, but they were bold in how they lived. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were of his own. And they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed, each as he had need. Thus Joseph who was also called the Apostle Barnabas, called by the Apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the Apostle's feet. They weren't just bold in how they spoke. They were bold in the way that they lived. They lived radically as the body of Christ. 
Not only were they an organization that meant once a week, like, like modern day church. No, they were so much more than that. They, all of them, were of one heart and soul. They held everything in common. There was no needy among them. But that second part doesn't happen unless the per- first part happens. And, and then we go back to how all of this started. And our task is to ask, is, is that us as a, as a church? We often fashion the church the same way we fashion our sports clubs or our social clubs. Like, you know, it's not a big deal in our life. It's just something we do a couple times a week, something we go to. But in Acts 2.42, all of this was possible because it says they devoted themselves. This was the most important thing in their lives. They devoted themselves to the Scriptures, reading the Scriptures together to fellowship, to prayer, and to breaking of bread, meaning remembering Jesus together around the table. This wasn't a a side thing. It was that they devoted themselves to it. This was radical. And so they were bold in the way they spoke. But they couldn't be bold in the way they spoke without being bold in the way they lived. And everything that they did. They, they didn't just read the, the, the scriptures once a week. They didn't just go and, and meet in a church once a week. But they lived together in boldness, going out, sharing Jesus Christ in everything that they did, devoting themselves to this boldness. And because of that, they were known as people who were with Jesus. I want to encourage you not to minimize the Word, not to minimize the example, especially found in Acts, but to let it be a conviction. There's nothing wrong with a conviction, you know. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. No, it's always uncomfortable. Sometimes it's it's annoying and I'll, I'll... re-emphasize that and say it's always annoying it moves us changes us again with the notion that he is changing us renewing us transforming us into the image of his son jesus and there is boldness in that let's pray heavenly father let us be convicted by your word where we need to be moved, where we need to grow. Never leave us to stay the same. Father, your word is convicting. It brings upon us a godly sorrow that you say will lead to repentance that leads to salvation. And in this there, you bring us joy in this transformation. But help us to see those areas of our lives where this isn't us and it needs to be. Where we need to be moved. Move us with your Holy Spirit to grow in you. That we can be bold both in the way we speak and in the way we live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.